0: Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. We're in this series, um, and it's it's really been interesting to watch your reaction to it. Bobby's right. We've had an amazing number of stories that have come out of this series called One Month to Live. We started off with this concept that if if you had one month to live, one of the things that we know you do is you'd live passionately. I mean, you, you'd, you'd find passion in everything that you do. And then secondly, you'd learn to love completely. Some of the notes that I got from you guys this past week has been amazing. And um, what was interesting was the first week we said, why don't you send me a text to a Google number that wasn't attached to any contacts? So unless you put your name on it, we didn't know who it came from and wanted to know, you know, what is it that would separate you from your passion, and what is it you're passionate about, what do you believe God wants to do in your life? And about 450 of you sent texts in wanting to know about that, and so y'all are absolutely exhausting me in my prayer life, because um, I promised I'd pray for those for 30 days. So I've had to break it up into morning and evening, otherwise I, I don't get any work done because I'm praying for y'all. So on the other hand, what I have found is, it is really cool to pray that long, and um, because all of a sudden most of us don't. I mean, I normally don't. I mean, for me to take a solid hour and pray is, is freaky to me because you know what I like to pray is, hey God, let's do this thing. You got me? Good. You know, let's go because that's kind of my temperament. And y'all are teaching me how wonderful it is to pray for you. And it's really one of the greatest things I've ever experienced. And so I want to keep hearing the stories from y'all about what God's doing in your life. Will you please send those to Bobby or send them to me? Because we we really, really, um, we're a church who doesn't really measure how many people come. Um, I mean, the numbers of people in the church, that just doesn't crank our wagon. I mean, what gets us excited is when we hear this fresh story of what God's doing in your life, which leads us to today, our topic about learning humbly. Working on this sermon this week, I thought to myself, I, and I needed to give you a disclaimer. Um, I am not qualified to speak to you about humility. I'm probably the most selfish person I know. Uh, I'm, I'm probably the most egotistical person I know. And I know what you're thinking, Chuck, why? And it, I, I don't know, um, but, but I'm full of me. And, and to teach on humility, feels a little bit like accepting an award for humility. You know, just something's wrong about that. And now this year's most humble servant of God is, you know, and then that person's supposed to say, no, really, no award for me. Give it to somebody else. Me, I would say, ooh, nice trophy, you know. And that's because we struggle trying to learn humbly. I mean, in Psalm chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, here's what it says. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, they are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Now, you know, people who people who know they're at the end of their life, one of the things they learn to do is they learn to, to surrender because they need other people to help them. And you know, one of those pi- picture perfect processes of, of of humility is this willingness to say, I can't do this alone. I need help. But, you know, we tend to not learn those things until we've had some colossal failures. When I think about the failures in my life, I have had some colossal, epic failures. I know how to mess up. I mean, I have a master's in total mess up. I mean, I I can do it like nobody's business. And when we do that, and by the way, I would just say on behalf of you, in, in your humility, so have you. If you haven't messed up, you're not breathing. I mean, it's just human nature to have these colossal failures. But when we have these failures, we have kind of three options in how we deal with them. And one of them is that we just kind of ball up and hole up and scrunch up and we get in a fetal position and we just whine about it. You know, oh, I'm just messed up. You know, and then we we kind of stay there, and we kind of wallow in it a little bit. We're like a we're like a pig in mud. We just kind of get bathed, and and all of that. I feel so sorry for myself. And you say nobody wants to know we do that, but some of us do, don't we? We just wallow in it for a long time because the mud is soothing. And we just think, oh, yeah, I'm just so sorry. And I was so bad. God can't ever use me again. And I'm just an awful person. And what the Greek says about that is shut up. Now you have a second option. The second option is the one we really like to take because this one's fun. I had a colossal failure. Watch this now. I had a colossal failure. Are you ready? Ready? And it's Freddie's fault. (laughs) Way to go, Freddie. There you go again. You are the reason for my colossal mess up. Yet Beth, his wife, is sitting there going, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And you see that it's so much easier to blame somebody else for my mess up, isn't it? Bobby, how could you do that? What were you thinking? And Bobby looks back at me and says, What? All I do is walk in a door, but we love it when we blame somebody else because we blame somebody else. We can deflect all that guilt and we can deflect all that shame, and we're able to say in front of everybody and save our church face and say, "It wasn't me." But then we have a third option, and the third option is where all of a sudden we find this colossal quantum leap and how we get past it and move on and learn from it. And that is when we recognize and own. Wait a minute, I made the mistake. I created this colossal failure, I have just failed, and now I want God to do his greatest work in my life and bring me out of that failure. And that's where I have learned where we literally understand with humility the fact that God, a heavenly God, our creator, our sustainer, who does his best work when we are at our worst. I don't know about you, but the fact is, I have lived through some colossal failures. I have made some colossal mistakes. But you know, to do that, we've got to depend on other people. We, we got to stop being so self-sufficient and proud. And, and then we begin to understand the truth found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. It's one of those challenging passages where Paul, the writer, is struggling with this issue in his life and his faith, and three times he goes to God with, are you sure this is what we're supposed to do? Are you sure this is what you want to do? Are you sure that's what you're asking me to do? And then God says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my grace is all you need. Is that not beautiful? My grace, Grace is all you need. So there you are, balled up, worried, fretful. There you are, blaming somebody else. There you are, looking for God to bail you out. And what God says in all three cases is this, all you need is my grace. All you need is me. That's all you need. But listen, it gets better. It goes on and says, my power works best in weakness. God says, wait a minute, when you're at your worst, I'm at my best. When you're at your weakest, I am strongest. When you are in a mess, I'm in control. God comes along and says, when you have completely surrendered, when you are done, he shows up and says, now we're going to learn something. Now we're going to do something. My, my girls, I, I, I loved watching our daughters play ball. And girls, when they play ball, Always have this same phrase, and here's what it is: My girls played. uh, they, They played basketball. They played volleyball. They played softball. I mean, I spent half of my life in a gym or a field, and and all the while, you know what girls always say to each other when they're playing sports? Here's what they say: "You got that girl," and they don't just say it; they say it with attitude: "You got that girl." You know, I I love that. I mean, one of my daughters would shout at my other daughters down the court playing basketball. You got this, girl. And I'd watch. No, she doesn't. (laughs) No. But you know, they believe it. You got this, girl. Listen, here's what I really do believe. If we could fully comprehend this concept, there we are going through life. We have a colossal failure. We throw away those three options and recognize a God who is promised to us in Psalm 121, who never slumbers, who never sleeps. That God, when you woke up this morning, was there for you. And here's what he said. I got you. I got you. Come on. I've got you. My grace is all you need. When, when you're weak, I'm strong. And then scripture goes on and says, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Scripture says, listen, when you've got a colossal failure, do this. Open the window and the door of your heart, take a peek in there, and what do you see? Do you see the mirror reflection of you or do you see God at work within your heart? Because see, if God is not at work in your heart, that means you haven't totally surrendered to him. That means you're not allowing him to do his work. You put a lid on what God wants to do in your life. And listen, in the free will that God offers you, literally what you're saying is, no, I got this, Lord. I don't need you. All the while, the God of all creation, the God that sustains our life, the God who gave his son to give you life and abundance today and life eternally forever, the God who left us the Holy Spirit that would lead and guide, protect and guard us. We said to all of that, no, I got this. When God says, "Why, why don't you do this? Why don't you take about 20 steps backward and run as fast as you can? And when you get about six feet away from God, leave your feet, take a flying leap into the arms of a God who holds his arms out like this and reaches out around them, especially if you're like me, and when you jump six feet out, you're only going you to go about eight inches, and he catches you, and he says, I got you. We got this. Isn't that what you want isn't that what we long for? You say, Chuck, listen, I you just don't understand my life. I, I'm i completely powerless in my life. I'm not in control of my life. My marriage is a disaster. My job is a disaster. My finances are a disaster. My kids are a disaster. My calendar is a disaster. I, Chuck, I just feel so powerless. Well, let me point out something pretty simple. This here is a motorcross motorcycle, all right? Now, as a kid, I rode one like this. And I loved it. Now, this motorcycle here is designed to do motocross. Now, if I took this motorcycle and went down and decided to get in the race, and I looked and I said, wow, they're my colors. They're red and black. How good is this? And I took it off the kickstand, and I put my hands on the handlebars, got out on the motocross track, and started pushing it. And I just eventually got to where I could run with it. And I'm just running along with my motorcycle. And everybody else is going around me and they're on, on the laps, on the motorcycle going, nging, 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 and, and they're flying by me, but I'm running. I got my motorcycle. You know what I'd be? An idiot. You know, people be saying, Chuck, dude, this thing has a motor in it. Oh, if you push this button, it'll start. And then you can sit on it and you turn this, and it goes ying 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 ying, and it takes you somewhere. And all of a sudden, you can race with everybody else. And I say, but no, 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 you don't understand. I like this motorcycle, but the fact is, I just want to push it. You know what happened? They'd run over me. Now let me state the obvious: this motorcycle has plenty of horsepower, but it's only horsepower if I use it. Now watch this. God offers us the horsepower that's necessary to live this life in abundance and fullness and in grace and in joy. And some of us are getting up every morning and walking over to God's horsepower and pushing it all the way into work. And we get there, sweats pouring off of us and we're walking in there and people say, wow, cool motorcycle. I know. I pushed it in. You did what? I know it's. I know it's a cool motorcycle. I pushed it in. They should fire me for no other reason than being stupid. What do you mean you push it in? Doesn't it have a motor? Yeah. Well, does it start? Yeah. Why didn't you crank the engine? What a great motorcycle. He said, that's exactly how we treat the power of God. I mean, you know, when you get out on a motocross track, all of a sudden you've got these sharp curves, and you got these ruts, and you got mud, and you got water, and you got jumps, and and but you know, if you're not careful, it seems just like life. Wait a minute, life threw me a curve, honey. I don't love you anymore. All of a sudden, wait a minute, I got this, I got this bog I got to go through. Wait a minute, I just lost my job. Well, wait a minute, I got, I got to jump off this cliff. I got, I got to soar through the air, and I got to land safely. What do you mean you're pregnant? seems like life is a pretty good metaphor for what it looks like when we try to go through this journey in our life. And you know what? I've also noticed that you, you wear these goggles when, when, when you're, when you're there and they, they put these goggles on like this. Does that not look stupid or what? People on podcasts are saying, what? I want to see that. And you know, what? when, when you're not running in front of the pack, you're kind of in the middle of the pack and in the middle of the pack, What happens is all that dirt and all that mud and all that stuff flies up in your face and your goggles are covered and you can't see and you're racing the engine and what do you do? And they have these little tear off sheets that you tear off so you can see clearly again. You know why they do that? So you know where you're going. So you know what to do. So, So you can see clearly for the direction and where you're headed. You know, God says, I offer you a clean view. I offer you the ability to see clearly and to move forward. Let me give you a brand new visor. But we tend to struggle with it. We tend to, tend to just leave God's horsepower alone and take it on as if it were, were us. And then you know inevitably what happens when you're on a motorcycle, you're going to crash. And when you crash... You got a choice. What do I do now? Some of us have had some of those life crashes and we've literally just splatted. And the first lesson to learn humbly is this. I need to learn from my failures. I need to learn from my failures. Now, here's let me give you this this most practical perspective. You see, every time we fail, we have two options. A, It is a crutch we put underneath ourselves and say, oh, God can't ever use me again. I've really messed up. I want to hang on to this guilt. I want to be a martyr. I want I want everybody to know how sorry I am, and I want to cry for the rest of my days. Or we can see, wait a minute, this is a ladder that God has put before you that adds to your testimony and to his grace and to his mercy and his goodness, and you can climb that ladder and you can improve your testimony. You can use it for his glory, or you can wallow around with that crutch. It's all up to you. And God lets you choose. God lets you pick which one of those you want to be. You want a crutch? You want a ladder? You get to pick. And it's all on you. You get to decide which way you want to go. And we make those choices. I need to learn from my failures. Let me state the obvious again. Everybody fails in life. All of us do. I fail. You fail. We all fail in this life. Let me give you a picture biblically from a guy who knew what colossal failure was. His name was Simon Peter. And it means the rock. I mean, Jesus picked... This dude, now this is the same Peter who stepped out of the boat onto the water and walked on water. This is the same Simon Peter who Jesus looked at and said, you are the rock. I mean, can you smell what the rock is cooking? I mean, here he was, he was the man. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, you know what, Peter? Before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times. Peter looked back, Lord, I'd never do that. I'd never fail you like that. I love you. I'm the rock. You're building your church on me. I'm the man. I'm the captain of the team. I got this. And Jesus is, but Peter, I know you love me, but you're going to fail three times. And then the rooster's going to crow. Hey, aren't you that guy who followed me? No, I don't know him. Aren't you that guy that walked with Jesus? No, I don't know him. Wait a minute, weren't you one of his disciples? I, no, 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 cock-a-doodle-doo. And there Peter is with this colossal failure in his life. Peter was thinking, I'll never crash, I'll never burn. I, I won't have that failure. And yet he did, a bad one, a colossal Failure. The one who gave him everything, the one who called him the rock, the one that gave him salvation, he denied him. He failed him in front of this public setting. Everybody knew, Peter, you had your chance and you blew it, son. You blew it. You know, my dad wasn't always the most affirming guy in the world, but one of the things my dad was really good at is every time I messed up, these are the words I'd hear from my dad. You know, son, I guarantee you'll get it next time. You know, son, I guarantee you'll get it next time. How can I help you get it next time, son? What a beautiful picture of how God looks at us. I got you. We'll get it next time. I've got you. Over in Luke chapter 22, it says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Hey, folks, that's the picture of deep regret. That's the picture of deep brokenness. That's a man who knows I have failed miserably. What am I going to do? I can cower here and wallow in it. I can blame somebody else or I can seek forgiveness and let God do this great work in me. And and, and Peter, I think, is struggling with all of that. And maybe today you're, you're here and you're in the middle of a crash. Maybe you're here today and you're in the middle of a colossal failure or maybe you're, you're trying to figure out how do I get out of this mess and all of a sudden you realize like Jesus looked at Peter and you realize this one beautiful concept, failure is never final. Why? Because of the power of the cross, failure is never final. Because of the power of the cross, failure is never fatal. I mean, we serve a God, not only the second choice, but the third and the fourth and the fifth who comes along and looks at us. And you look at mirror and say, I am a colossal screw up. And God comes along and says, and I love you. I know you are. Come here. We got this. And that's when you recognize how do I wallow in self-pity? How do I blame someone else? You know, you you look at this and you recommend, wait a minute, I need to take responsibility for my failures. You say, well, Chuck, where do you get that? In Proverbs 28, 13. Scripture says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Is that not beautiful? Isn't that great? I mean, I have just had a colossal meltdown and God says, but wait a minute, just kind of fess up and come make that flying leap, I've got you. We got this. I mean, I can almost see the Lord Jesus saying, we've got this. We can count on me. I've got you. After the crash, Peter just, it wiped out all of his pride, and it wiped out all of his self-sufficiency, and now God could really use him. I mean, you think about it. We, he was totally broken, broken, totally useless, totally alone, totally guilt ridden, totally feeling like I have just blown it. And then Jesus comes back. Because you see, about the time where you're totally broken, about the time that you're totally destitute, about the time there's nothing you can lean on and there's nothing you can do, that's when God shows up and his strength is greater than your weakness. His togetherness is more powerful than your aloneness. And he says, I see, I've got you right where you're ready to be used. And he pours into us this grace and this love and forgiveness. I've got you. We've got this. So over in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15, after, John, after Peter had totally blown it, This is what we read. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, this is the same Peter. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. What? Well, if you love me, feed my lambs. So he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? A second time, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. In verse 17, he says, he said to him again a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter again is grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now now watch this. If you miss this, you're going to miss one of the coolest things of all time. Jesus said to Peter, you're going to blow it three times. Do you know him? I don't know him. Were you his follower? No. Do you recognize him? Never seen him before. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Ooh. For the rest of his life, every time Peter hears that rooster crow, he's reminded of his failure. Every time that rooster wakes him up, the first thing he thinks is, "Mm, I blew it. But now here comes Jesus behind him, a broken man, a man that's alone, a man that has no hope, a man that doesn't know where to go. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you love me? Of course I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Of course I do. Tend my sheep. Peter, Do you sure you really love me a third time? I really, really do. Tend my sheep. Now, now, don't miss this. Watch. Three times, Peter blows it. And Jesus comes along on the backside and three times affirms him. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. Do you love me? Do this. Do you love me? Do this. Do you love me? Do this. Can you imagine having the affirmation of a holy God who says, I've got you. A holy God who looks at you and said, I know you've blown it, but I can, I can repair this. I can fix this. We've got this. And so I look at that and I think to myself, isn't that what I really want? Three failures, three affirmations. But to do that, you know what Peter had to do? He had to let go of his guilt. Some of us have blown it so many times, we're just hanging on to that guilt like it was precious jewelry. Somehow along, you grew up in a faith that wanted to just labor you and weigh you down with guilt, and Jesus comes along and says, listen, not only to give you life and give it to you more abundantly, let go. It's over. You've got the power to begin again. And I look at that and I say, so I learn from my losses, and I surrender then to God's best for my life. Once I've let go of my, and learned from my losses, I've surrendered to God's strength. I have to rev up the engine then of God's power. I can't change in my own strength. Look what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I don't know that I understand all that that means, but I do know what the concept of the cross and taking it up means. It means you die. The cross was an instrument of death. Jesus said, you've got to take up your cross. You know what he means to that? Die to yourself, die to your pride, die to all of your sinfulness, die to everything, and simply allow his life to flourish in you. It's this willingness. I have people call me all the time. You know what they say to me? Chuck, I just can't do it anymore. My marriage is anything. I can't do it anymore. You know, I, I'm about to lose my house. I can't do it anymore. My, my boss is the biggest jerk on the planet. I can't do it anymore. Then, you know, I'm going to give you this great theological advice. You ready? Then stop. Because if you're trying to do it all in your power, you're going to fail. Go ahead and rest in the power of Jesus. Go ahead and settle in the goodness of Jesus. Go ahead and let him give you a brand new life. Surrender everything you've got into his hands and let him take control. And you say, Chuck, that sure does sound good, but that's a lot easier said than done. Yes, it is. But he lets you pick. You're going to pick, you're going to surrender? Because if you do, you get to go to point number three, and that is I get to pursue God's plan. Now, you know, in most of our cases, the way we look at pursuing God's plan or 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 doing what God wants us to do, we always send a rush to some type of vocation. Well, God wants me to do X, or God wants me to do Y. God wants to be a teacher. God wants to be a preacher. God wants to be a missionary. God wants to be a musician. God wants me in Broadway. God wants me in Hollywood. God wants me on American Idol. I can just go on and on and on. But before God places you somewhere, I believe he has this wonderful, purposeful plan for our life, all of us. And the first thing he does, is he calls you unto himself in a relationship with Jesus. The very first call on your life, if you're a born again, Bible believing Christian, if there's a point in time in your life where you said, Jesus, I need you, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you. I'm tired of living in my own. If you're that person, then there's a call in your life. And the first call in your life is to Jesus, to live for Jesus. And you ask any one of our staff members, pick any one of them, you say, just ask them in a hallway, just what's the one thing Chuck expects from you as a staff member? I I did this to Bobby, he was sitting on the front row at 9.30 and I picked on him and I said, we we didn't rehearse it, he didn't know it was coming. I said, what is it? And his answer was this, that we're growing to become more like Christ every day. You know what you ought to demand of your pastor? Not that we fill this, this building with more people. Not, clearly, it's not that I can preach, but it's, it, it comes down to this. You ought to, you ought to expect and know every day I'm growing to try to become more like Jesus. Every part of my life I'm trying to live to be a little bit more like Jesus. And when I have a colossal failure, you ought to be seeing more days that I've tried to live like Jesus than more days I've had colossal failures. So let me ask you a question. In the middle of all that, what happens in that call? I'm called first to Jesus, the person of God. Then I'm called to the purpose of God. Now, the purpose of God is the redemption of people. So if, if God's purpose is people, we got to connect our purpose to his purpose. We're here to be about people. So if you've had a colossal failure, welcome to the world. And now I can help people. Because what I've learned is perfect people can't help people who aren't perfect. Imperfect people help imperfect people. That's God's plan. We, you, you, the fact is, you come to see me and you say, "My kids are driving me crazy." You know, the first thing I'm going to say is, "I get it." You come to me and you say, "You know what, Chuck? I, I'm, I'm struggling with. I'm struggling with this." Yeah. Me too. We're called to the person Jesus. We're called to God's purpose. Then finally, we're called to a plan. I mean, everything you've experienced up to this point in your life is God preparing you for whatever He wants you to do tomorrow. You say, well, I, I'm not sure that was part of the plan. And yet he allowed you to learn that. So now you know what grace is. Because I have a million kids and all of them have been teenagers and now in their 20s, many of you will come to me with teenager questions. Chuck, what do I do about my my son, my daughter? The, typically what I'm going to say is this. I promise you, I've experienced it. And you know, what, you know what I will typically say to them is? But think how wonderful it'll be when they finally get grace. Because see, you don't get grace until you need grace. Then all of a sudden, God says, here you go. So we're called to the person in Jesus. We're called to God's purpose. Then we have a plan. And then finally, he puts us in a place. But along the way, in in doing that, we find this unbelievable thing in finding God's plan. The three quick steps. Number one, we have this call. I want to do this. God, I want to take this flying leap into your arms. I want to trust you. I know you've called me. So I jump in and I'm just super Christian for a while. And then all of a sudden, I hit the wall, I get the call and I hit the wall. And all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, those church people are mean. They're self-centered like people outside the church too. They, They didn't like me any more than the guy at work. There was no place for me. I wanted, and I hit the wall. And then finally, after I hit the wall, I have the fall. I have the call, I've hit the wall, I have the fall. And you fall in one of two ways. You either fall flat on your face or you fall on your knees. You know what I've discovered? Every time I fall flat on my face, I give up on God. And every time I fall on my knees, I find his presence and his power. Maybe that's you today. Which brings me all the way back to Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They're brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. If you stand proud, you're going to fall on your face. But when you get on your knees and you trust him for his power, he'll raise you up for greatness and he has a plan for your life. And that's your call. That's your pick. Some of you today are saying, Chuck, all of that sounds really good. But what do I do now? You know what you do right now? You stop trying to fix yourself. And you let God take over your life. You open up that window in the door of your heart. And you let God start changing you from the inside out. And all of a sudden, you start realizing, wait a minute, in his power, these things can happen. And in his grace, I can find forgiveness. And in his mercy, I can start over again. And in his goodness, I can trust him for my future. And I don't have to wallow around, and I don't have to blame other people, and I don't have to stay in failure. I can trust him, and he can change me from the inside out. And that is our prayer today, that he would change you from the inside out. And you say, well, Chuck, how do I do that? Well, it's real simple. Number one, Jesus, I need you. I love you. Come into my life and start changing me from the inside out. Stop, stop trying to fix all of your junk before you come to Jesus. And just, he welcomes you with those wide open arms to take a flying leap. And he'll catch you right where you are and say, I got you. And let him change you from the inside out. I've discovered that all of us are either in the middle of a colossal failure, about to go into one, or just coming out of one. It's part of life. And none of it caught God by surprise. I mean, he never walked through heaven going, wow, I didn't see them messing up like that. And there he is waiting on you. I've got you. Come run into my arms. Let me catch you. And clean me up and make me new from the inside out.